0: Um, It was a great joy to be able to uh, share at uh, Overflow Conference, and it's been a very exciting eight days uh, for myself and John Piper and uh, Don Carson. Um, Eight days ago, we started uh, a conference in Japan called Love Japan. And that was a three day conference with uh, simultaneously in three cities uh, Tokyo, Nagoya, and Osaka. The combined population of those three cities is about 60 million people. And we did it over three days simultaneously. So on each of the days, at any time, one of us was preaching uh, at each of the three cities. So we were, and then we switched off, and then we switched off again. So we actually didn't even see each other during those three days. Um, After the three days were done, we got a chance to be together and um, have lunch. So we preached, uh, the three of us, a total of 36 hours on those three days, and uh, were able to manage, uh, by God's grace, to um, survive a typhoon. And uh, when the typhoon was developing, it was the... Most Powerful Storm on Earth of 2014, they said, if Category 6 existed, this would be a Category 6. It was supposed to hit us as a Category 3 on Sunday, which would have been smack in the middle of our conference and really would have um, disrupted a lot. But by God's grace and through the power of uh, God's people's prayers, uh, the storm didn't hit us until Monday night, which was when we were ending our conference, and also weakened uh, to not even a category one, so we 're just very thankful for that, and we were shaking our heads when we heard about Hurricane Anna hitting coming to Hawaii <laughs> so i 'll be in Indonesia in a couple of weeks, hopefully there won 't be a tropical storm hitting then but uh, so adding in overflow conference, I think in these eight days. Uh, The three of us have done about 45 hours of preaching, and uh, normally when I come to preach or uh, speak at a conference, I kind of feel like a a little boy with five loaves and two fish. Uh, Today, as I come before you, I feel like a little boy with one loaf and one fish, Uh, but I'm thankful that one loaf and one fish is enough for the Lord. He doesn't need five. So uh, let's let's join our hearts and let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are God Almighty, and that you can multiply the work of your weak servants, even a little boy, to accomplish your great purposes. And Father, I pray that you would accomplish your great purposes through this weak and sinful church, Trinity. That you would use these uh, sinners turned saints, Lord, uh, for your glory. That they would so shine their lights, Lord, that all around might see and know that Jesus Christ is Lord. That they would so feel the love of God, so see the love of God shared in this place as well. That they would bow before you, that they would bend the knee and say, truly, you are the Lord of the universe. So, Father, uh, in this time, in this 45th hour of preaching, Lord, would you be honored and glorified. May your truth go forward, Father, and may your people um, worship before you. In Jesus' name, amen. The first car that... uh, my family and i bought when we moved uh, to japan in january of 2004 was a, a 500 dollars old uh, mitsubishi station wagon and we drove it for a year until it was up for um, in car inspection um, now inspection in japan compared to in america is only every other year it's every two years um, but before you, you start getting jealous, let me also add that car inspection usually runs between 800 to 1,200 dollars. So I wanted to get a sense of whether we could you know squeeze two more years out of our car before uh, investing the money for inspection. So I called up uh, a mechanic, Niwasan, who had uh, serviced our car before, and uh, I asked niwa whether he thinks we can get two more years with the car. And he says to me, even God doesn't know. <laughs> and I respond, oh yes, he does. <laughs> and after a short silence, uh, Niwasan says, even Buddha doesn't know. <laughs> and I say to him, I think you're right, nila I think you're right. So this doctrine of the sovereignty of God, this truth that God is sovereign, God is sovereignly in control, ruling, reigning over all things, including creation, including hurricanes and typhoons, and earthquakes, and volcano eruptions, including all of time, including governments, including our every heartbeat that God is a sovereign king over everything, this glorious doctrine and truth of who God is and how he is is incredibly encouraging. It is a great source of comfort and confidence not only for missionaries, uh, but for all Christians. But it is often the case that these great doctrines are particularly dear to to missionaries, Um, but again, dear to us all in our personal lives, in our ministries. Um, This passage that we read from Acts 4 Uh, It's one of those really beautiful moments of the church joyfully and confidently declaring and affirming and testifying about this absolute sovereignty of God. Sovereign Lord, they said, sovereign, sovereign Lord, you, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Um, in the Old Testament, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of times where God is addressed or God refers to himself as sovereign Lord. Lord. But interestingly, Acts 4.24 is one of only three times in the New Testament, only three times in the New Testament, where God is addressed as sovereign Lord. It's very interesting. It's one of those mysteries. The two other times are, first, the, the joyfully content prayer, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Spoken by Simeon in Luke 2. And how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Spoken under the altar by the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained in Revelation 6. Is that a hurricane warning? In the middle of my talk at <laughs> Overflow, there was a pop and the, the lights went out and we had a five minute bathroom break. <laughs> In Japan before an earthquake, we get these, uh, uh, we get these warnings. It is a warning. <laughs> okay, so does the flash flood come right here? Yeah. So today I want to touch on three themes or three implications of the sovereignty of God that impact life generally and our lives and, and even our ministry in Japan, particularly. Uh, before I go into these three texts, though, let, let, let's step, step back a little bit. Let's familiarize ourselves a little bit with the context of this passage in Acts. Um, Acts is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Um, perhaps it is for many missionaries for obvious reasons. Um, Acts is an amazing account of the establishment, the progress, and the uh, expansion of the Church of Jesus Christ, and it is a work that was sovereignly brought about by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit ministering through the servants of Christ. Um, The book is traditionally known as the Acts of the Apostles, with a focus on the ministries of Peter and Paul, Uh, but perhaps it would be uh, more accurate to refer to it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Peter gives uh, the same emphasis in the miracle that was performed in chapter 3, that actually led to his arrest, that is a part of our passage today in Acts 4. He says in 3.12, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? So the apostles clearly attribute the power of their ministry to the Holy Spirit and not to themselves. Acts is a picture of perseverance, persecution, and performing ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit as they proclaimed the gospel over the world that was known to them. The Holy Spirit is the empowering force of the church. He is the sovereign divine agent in the spread of the gospel and in the founding and the establishment and the expansion of the church. In addition to this emphasis upon the Holy Spirit, uh, we see in, in, in Acts a very clear emphasis in the apostles' preaching upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection was a key is a key part of the gospel message it authenticated jesus as the son of god and it assured believers of the forgiveness of sins of freedom from sin's power of eternal life and of resurrection from the dead hours Uh, Just as an aside, um, I think it's interesting or or perhaps a little bit disturbing how much the modern-day gospel presentation has strayed from the gospel focus in Acts. No doubt a part of the gospel message is that God loves you, no doubt. But it's not a love for those who are lovable. It is a love that God extended to sinners, uh, those who were in fact in rebellion against him, those who were, in effect, his enemies. Peter, in Acts 3, uses with his audience the powerful words, you killed the author of life. And his call, therefore, is to repent. Quite different from God loves you and really, really, really wants you to accept him like a desperate plea for a prom date. (laughs) And I think some would argue that Peter's message, Peter's strategy won't work today. It's not the message that people want to hear or that people will respond to. But again, we are reminded again and again in Acts that it is the Holy Spirit who empowers responsiveness. And ultimately, it is God who sovereignly saves. And God is quite effective. <laughs> so in chapter 4, we read that the preaching of the apostles uh, accomplished a few things we can see in chapter 4. First of all, number one, people were annoyed. Specifically, the Sadducees. Now, normally you would think it's probably not a good sign when your preaching annoys people. <laughs> Oh, you should really hear Pastor Todd. (laughs) He really annoys people. (laughs) But I think there's an unmistakably offensive element to the gospel of Jesus Christ, faithfully preached. That is not to say that every or even most sermons or gospel presentations will offend someone, but I do think, especially in the context of this Postmodern America, that we'll find that a faithful presentation of the gospel will offend some. The goal of preaching or of missions is not to not offend, and this all falls into the pattern of Jesus' own ministry, where he caused many to stumble and offended some to the point that they were ready to kill him. There were many more people who wanted to kill Jesus and were successful in killing him, He could have been killed many times. The book of Acts uh, would be very accurately described as the continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ through his church. It is a continuation of Jesus' ministry. The ministry of Trinity Church is the continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ here. It changes our perspective a little bit, doesn't it? And in this ministry, we are called to faithfulness to the message, even if it annoys some, even if it offends some to the point that they would throw you into prison or even take your life. In Acts, we see that persecution for preaching the gospel played a very significant role in the expansion of Christianity. It was a strategy, (laughs) In 2009, I had the opportunity to speak to 18,000 college students at the Urbana Missions Conference. Uh, While there, I met a remarkable woman serving in Afghanistan named uh, Libby. Uh, The past summer before then, um, her husband, along with nine other medical workers, um, hiked for more than 10 hours across a treacherous trail of 16,000 foot high rocky mountains to the remote Parun Valley of Nuristan. If not for the grace of God, they would have died simply from exhaustion. For two weeks, they gave medical care to a village of 50,000 people. It reminds me of those we prayed for today. 50,000 people for two weeks. They began after that their return trip home, Uh, but they never made it home. They were gunned down in a gruesome slaughter by the Taliban. And Libby was without a husband. The ten who were there were there as uh, servants. And the message that they bore, even simply through their very presence, was offensive to the point of death. Um, Every missionary is a messenger. Every Christian is called to be a messenger. We don't come up with a message. We deliver the message given to us like the apostles. And a general lesson, I think, for all of us to remember is that we are not responsible for the reaction to the message. We are only responsible for the message itself, that it be relayed and that it be relayed and displayed faithfully, both in word and also in deed. We want to be sensitive and caring as messengers, but we can't worry too much about the response of our listeners. And if we are faithful to that message, their rejection or lack of responsiveness is is not a commentary on us. They reject the one who sent us. And we also don't give up. We do not give up. One rejection is not a final rejection, but a temporary one. We persist in love for them, but especially in love for the one who sent us. We do it for love of Jesus. One missionary told me um, who works in, uh, amongst Muslims in Asia that on average, uh, it takes them, their team, about 40, uh, 40 times, the people who they're working with, it takes about 40 exposures to the gospel before someone believes on average. what does that tell us? It takes perseverance. It says, don't give up. Don't give up after that 39th time. What if they gave up after the 39th time? For you, as you think about family members or friends, that you really want them to know Jesus Christ. How many of you have persevered to the 40th time? So we seek to preach the word faithfully, share the gospel faithfully, and to persevere in it regardless of their reaction. Um, I think it is fair, though, to acknowledge that some Christians are just outright annoying and obnoxious in how they share the gospel. I think it's fair to acknowledge that. Um, You know, for all the wrong reasons of annoying Um, And we, we really need to pray for a work of God and just a graciousness and a gracefulness in their hearts and words and actions and attitude and life. And some of us may have been kind of close to that at times. We need to just spend a little time in repentance and ask God to soften us for the sake of his gospel. In Japan, uh, at least one particular group, their gospel-sharing strategy is these tiny trucks that go along the road blaring, just shouting out. You can't even understand these words, Uh, but for them, that's, that's sharing the gospel. In a society where people are so eager to have relationship with people, I can't think of a worse strategy, at least in Japan. Number two, another result of the preaching of the apostles is that God saves. He sovereignly works salvation in the hearts of many. On verse four, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. God saves. If you look at, uh, take, 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 a, take a look sometime at how Luke refers to, to conversions in the book of Acts. How Luke refers to conversions in the book of Acts. Uh, It's very interesting. Here in chapter 4, he says that many who heard the word believed. So there's a clear connection between the hearing of the word and the gospel and belief. So hearing and belief. In Acts 2.47, it says, The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So when we use language to describe someone become a, becoming a Christian, such as accepting Jesus as personal Savior or something like that. Uh, it, it may be true, but I think it is really healthy and a good thing to, to, to seek to incorporate into our language about conversion, and especially into our theology, all of the biblical aspects of conversion and the biblical language about conversion as well. Uh, there's an individual aspect to it, but there is also a very clear biblical communal aspect as well as they look at conversion added to their number there is a clear entering into community we don't often emphasize that at least in america there's a personal element in faith and there is also a clear uh, emphasis upon the sovereignty of god in salvation here the lord the lord added to their number those being saved In verse 27, indeed Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So just to review, we see here in Acts, a preaching with a resurrection focus. There is certainly a boldness in their witness, and I think we can say that the boldness comes from the Holy Spirit, and it is also inspired by confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and there is a clear emphasis and a confidence in the sovereignty of God in salvation and in all of life, and that God is powerfully effecting salvation in this world for his glory. Uh, Next, I want to share a little bit more personally. I want to touch on some aspects, three aspects of the topic of the sovereignty of God that we're looking at, that we've been looking at in Acts that impact life generally, but also to share a little bit of how this sovereignty has impacted our life and ministry um, in Japan particularly. And the first is that God is uh, the sovereign Lord who is to be worshipped. Um, This this weekend, I had the opportunity to share about uh, my own family background and also our connection with the Japanese occupation of Korea, which was ostensibly between 1904 and 1945. Uh, For those of you who weren't at uh, Overflow, let me just share briefly. Um, My father was born with what he was told was the tremendous privilege of being a subject of the Japanese imperial emperor. Though he is Korean and um, was born in Korea, he was graciously granted what he was told is the honor of be- bearing a Japanese name. So my father was born with the name Matsuyama Hideo. During this occupation of Korea um, by the Japanese Imperial Army, um, those who refused to show fealty to the Japanese sovereign were severely punished. Many of them can be counted among those who throughout Asia lost their lives during the Asian Holocaust. Maybe you've never heard of it. There was a Holocaust in Asia, but so few seem to remember it or even be aware of it. Uh, During this time of Japanese imperialism, uh, 30 million Indonesians and Chinese and Japanese and, uh, and Vietnamese and, Ca- and Cambodians and Filipinos and Koreans lost their lives at the hands of the Japanese Imperial Army. Uh, possibly the greatest loss of human life in the history of mankind. So seeing uh, Japan move from a nation that once served its emperor as a sovereign god to seeing Japan worship. The true sovereign God is our mission and our passion. It's why we're in Japan. Japan remains to this day the second largest unreached nation on earth. With a Protestant church-going population of 0.21%, evangelicals may compose a much smaller number On any Sunday uh, today in Japan, there are about, again, 0.21% of the population that are in a church. Don't know how many of those are truly Christians. That's about 267,000 people. Um, Of those 267,000, apparently only 6% are 30 and younger. Only 16,000 people. Only 16,000 in Japan are 30 and younger who are Protestant church going. I don't even know how many are true evangelical Christians. So it was a thrill for us to be able to gather at our Love Japan conference 2000 people. It really was remarkable. I mean, it was almost historic to see that happening. I've never I've never heard of that. I've never seen that for sure happen in Japan. To put this 267,000 Protestant church going Uh, Christians in Japan uh, in some perspective. Uh, The largest church in Korea um, at one point had about actually four four times as many members as all the Japanese Christians in the world combined. Shinto tradition and Buddhist traditions and all kinds of other religious ideas exist in Japan. They recognize 8 million gods in the Japanese pantheon. There are also well more than 100,000 cult groups in Japan. Uh, The church in Japan, in terms of its relationship to society, in many ways is irrelevant. Having no voice that speaks into some of the greatest needs of the nation, and for many Christians, um, really there's a great contentment if they and their church can simply avoid looking weird to the people around them. The church has aged considerably with 70% of the pastors in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, and nearly one in seven churches does not have a pastor. Is the hope of millions or tens of millions of Japanese worshiping the true sovereign Lord of the universe, is it a pipe dream? Should we all just pack up and move to countries where there is a more reasonable hope for gospel impact? No. No. We will not move. In fact, that was one of the preconditions of my uh, taking on leadership of the Lausanne movement, is that we will move the headquarters of Lausanne to Japan. So I invite you and ask you to pray with me, to pray with us, that the Japanese will know and worship the true Sovereign Lord. Second point is that God is the Sovereign Lord who knows all things and whose purposes will be fulfilled uh, we see this very uh, clearly in our passage today, in Acts. And I think, in a sense, there, there are two responses to the sovereignty of God. Uh, there are those who, be, because of their understanding of God's sovereignty, they decide to do nothing. Or decide to do nothing hard. And this, in some sense, this idolatry of Christian comfort is something... I can, I can understand it. I, can com- I completely understand it. It's the comfort of God's sovereignty. The comfort of my own salvation. The comfort of a marvelous, guaranteed future. I understand it. But I wonder... Have you, have you ever thought about the wonderful mercy of God that you were born into your circumstances. Most of you were born into relative comfort and tremendous Christian opportunity. From a human standpoint, I I think it's perhaps fair to say that it's not fair. It's not fair how blessed and how privileged we are. Think about it. I mean, you could just as easily have been born in the slums of New Delhi or as the son of a Shinto priest in Japan. And if you had, knowing what you know today, would you not have wanted someone to cross oceans, lands, and cultures, and languages to bring you the gospel. There is something fearfully wrong when we respond to the blessings of the sovereignty of God in our own lives by turning our backs on others. I think within the church, it's it's, it's easy to condemn idolatry of material things, but also to be quite easy to be permissive towards the idolatry of comfort, comfort again, even in our own salvation, our future, our standing with God. And then there are those who because of their understanding of God's sovereignty decide to do something. And some time something very very hard Uh, now in one sense i think it's kind of comical to think about japan as a hard mission field i mean we have japanese cars and we have japanese technology and we have world-class japanese comforts and courtesy what do we have to complain about But at the same time, Japan can beat you down and literally out of the country with spiritual darkness and emotional weariness. Um, Africa, back in the day, was rightly known as the missionary graveyard, um, the place where missionaries went to die from sickness or from martyrdom. It was a place, actually, that you packed your coffin along with your clothes. But today, Japan has become known as the missionary graveyard with one of the highest rates of attrition among missionaries, with too few missionaries who last beyond one term of service. And discouragement is something that that we all face in Japan. Um, There's always the challenge of faith, to keep our faith in a sovereign, sovereign Lord when circumstances around you tell you that there's no hope. Um, God is the God who does exceedingly and abundantly more than all that we can ask or imagine. That is our reminder, that is our prayer, that is our hope in the midst of discouragement. Um, It was a number of years ago that God opened our eyes uh, to some of the pains and suffering of our city. Of uh, young people, especially in the city, um, it's it reminds us of some of the things that happened during the Japanese occupation. Um, one of the horrible things during imperialism in Japan was uh, the kidnapping and uh, enslaving of up to two hundred thousand uh, young women and girls um, as sex slaves of the Japanese imperial army. Two hundred thousand, uh, the average age of those quote-unquote, comfort women, the average age was 16 years old. And the youngest among them were 11. Today, this history, this heritage continues. There are about 200,000 Thai and Filipino women who are virtual sex slaves of the sex industry in Japan. Um, and you also have um, young high school girls who are involved in something called Enjo Kosai, which is essentially teenage prostitution. Nine percent. Think about your local high school. Think about nine out of every hundred girls there. Now drive over to your middle school and gather a hundred of those middle school girls, four of them. of Japanese girls, middle school girls, report having participated in Nenjo Japan is also a society, one of the last societies in the industrialized world uh, where the possession of child pornography is still legal. What do you think drives that market for teenage prostitution? A government survey showed that 10% of Japanese men, 10%, uh, report having uh, possessed child pornography. So Japan is an incredibly safe place. There's not a better place in the world to lose your wallet. You're very likely to get it back intact. But in another sense, Japan is a very dangerous, dangerous place. So the Lord gave us a vision to establish a safe space in the heart of the city and a place where young people could be emotionally and physically and relationally and sexually and spiritually safe and we thought this was almost impossible because uh, during the real estate bubble the i mean the even now the real estate Prices are ridiculous, but during the real estate bubble, a five-feet by seven-feet piece of land in downtown Nagoya was $130,000. So, why, Lord, would you have us pray for something that is impossible? <laughs> but we prayed. We prayed for about six years. And then the Lord opened our eyes to an amazing property. It was just three stops away from Nagoya Station. We thought this is amazing in a five-minute walk. And it was uh, 60 of those units, uh, 557 units, um, and five-story building. And we thought, wow, this is amazing. During the real estate bubble, value could be about $9 million. The sale price was $1.3 million, which is a great, huge bargain. Um, But still about $1.2 million more than I had ever raised so we continued to do what we did for the past six years, which was to pray. And we asked people to pray, 90 days of prayer. And we were so thankful. The Gospel Coalition tweeted about our prayers. Josh Harris emailed me out of the blue and says, Oh, you don't know me, but if there ever anything I can do? Let me know. I said, Oh, would you blog about our 90 days of prayer? Would you call people to pray? So people prayed all around the world. And people began to give as well. Missionaries from around the world gave $50,000. Missionaries. Missionaries from Latin America, missionaries from China and Japan, missionaries from Afghanistan. I don't know more than half of these people. $50,000. That's like a congregation of 20 people giving $50,000. I call that the missionaries' might. There are no more precious gifts than that, except for maybe my daughter giving me a $20 bill. And by God's miraculous work, by day 82 of 90 Days of Prayer, He provided $1.3 million. And that very same week, though, the property was lost. The business went bankrupt, court seized the property, and we were left with egg on our faces and trying to explain to our donors why we couldn't buy that property. We were one week too late. And then the next Monday, however, we heard about another property, two and a half times the land size, a larger building, not three stops away in a five-minute walk from Nagoya Station, but a five-minute walk away from Nagoya Station. And I almost said, don't even bother. (laughs) I'm sure it's eight to ten million dollars. But I said, why don't you just ask? It hadn't hit the market yet. So after nine months of crazy, crazy drama about this all and ups and downs and gangsters and real estate agents and businesses and we're going to be able to buy it, we're not going to be able to buy it all these things. nine months later, we were able to purchase that building, which had a value during the real estate bubble of 20 million dollars, we were able to buy that building, a five-minute walk from Nagoya Station, for 1.2 million dollars, 100,000 dollars cheaper than the other. God is sovereign. God is sovereign over real estate. God is sovereign over money. God is sovereign over courts and businesses. God is sovereign over ministry. God is sovereign over every detail and aspect of your life. And thank God that he is. So we were able to establish that safe space, that vision that we had. And on the first floor of our building now, we have something called the Heart and Soul Café. And the Heart and Soul Cafe is a safe space for young people. And people have been able to come there and have their hearts open to the gospel of Jesus Christ to receive love and to have the opportunity to um, come into the family of God, to be added to our number, even in our very space. So I ask, uh, yeah, that you would pray for us. Pray for CBI Japan. Pray for our Growing, growing team. Pray for our seminary, Christ Bible Seminary, which has uh, tripled in the last three years by the sovereignty of God. Uh, and pray for our family as well, as we seek to serve faithfully in Japan and on behalf of the whole world as well. And finally, uh, the last point um, is that God is the sovereign Lord who is to be served. Uh, you know, there are those, again, who speak of Japan as a hopeless mission field or a hopeless people. But is there anything, is there anyone that is hopeless if God is sovereign? We are neither in Japan because it is a... That's ours? <laughs> That's my phone. <laughs> All right. Maybe there's an earthquake coming in Japan. <laughs> yeah, we're neither in Japan because it's a hard field or because it's an easy field. As Don Carson talked about this weekend, I mean, if God is truly omnipotent, There is no degree of difficulty for God. There's no, oh, this is a little bit harder for God, this is a little bit easier for God. I'm going to go to this field because it's a little bit easier for God. I don't want to go to that field because it's a little harder for God. There is no such thing. For God, everything is easy. God being omnipotent and sovereign makes such assessments as to whether they are a people who are quote-unquote open to the gospel or not irrelevant. It is no harder for God to do a work of glory in Japan than in any other part of the world, no matter if missiologists call Japan the most difficult mission field in the world. What is relevant is the question, is Japan a part of the purposes of God? And I have tremendous hope theologically that the redeemed will come from every tribe, language, people, and nation, and that will certainly include the Japanese. Um, I don't know if the gospel will flourish again in some of the nations of the world, some of the areas of the world, where there has been decades, even hundreds of years, of a growing and multiplying church with a large gospel response and presence, but I do know that God will not neglect Japan forever, Japan that has been waiting for 2,000 years. I believe with all my heart that God has a glorious plan for Japan and for the unreached peoples of the world. And I also believe uh, that you can see some of that glorious work emerging in Japan today. So I invite you to join us in joyfully and confidently declaring and affirming and testifying about the absolute sovereignty of God in Japan, in Hawaii. In all the world, I invite you to join us in that testimony. I invite you also to respond to the sovereignty of God by choosing to do something rather than do nothing. Do that both locally and also in the world that God loves globally to respond to the sovereignty of God with our confidence not in the quote-unquote openness of the field, but our confidence in the sovereignty and power of our Lord. You are his servants. You have received a glorious gospel and inheritance and salvation. You have been unfairly, richly blessed in your circumstances. The question is not, Well, why did that happen? The question is, how do I steward this? May God use you. May God use Trinity Church to faithfully share the love of Jesus Christ, the proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the joyful celebration of the sovereignty of our Lord to impact those who are near and those who are far. Let's pray.